See, the children of Israel had a whole lot of stuff they'd been carting through the wilderness. It was ready and useful for that. But now they had to prepare, and even the stuff they took with them was going to need to change. So what did they do? After they had done this, they gathered the army together. They had their swords and spears and shields. They were ready to fight, except God's plan wasn't about fighting. It was about trusting. It was about doing what God said. So the army went marching, marching, marching around the city day after day after day. The people in Jericho laughed. They said, they're too scared to come and fight. But they were wrong. God's people weren't scared. They were waiting. They were waiting to see what God would do next. And on the seventh day, God's people marched around the city, not once, but seven times. And then everyone had to make as much noise as they could. Now, I think if you knew that your victory depended on a good shout, that you would give a good shout. So we're going to have some worship in a moment. But imagine that noise. Must have been ear splitting. Well, it turned out to be wall splitting too. Because those huge, strong walls of Jericho suddenly tumbled to dust in front of them. As if they were made of sand, Jericho vanished into a cloud. And God's people entered into their new home. They didn't have to spend the time fighting. They had to spend the time listening and walking and following God. So, I want to point out a few things, and then we're going to have a time of worship. Remember that we've got to work out what stays behind. We've got to work out what we're going to take with us, what we're meant to take with us. We've got to work out how to say goodbye to the past in a way that stops it from controlling us in the present and influencing the future. But there are things from your past, even the children of Israel, things that they'd learned in the wilderness that they were meant to remember for the rest of their lives. They'd received what? God's word in the wilderness. They'd received the Ten Commandments in the wilderness. They'd received God's provision in the wilderness. Now, God's provision wasn't going to stay the same way But nevertheless, the conviction that God will provide, God will heal. All the things he he had shown them then, they were meant to take. And so last week, Pastor Bevan took us through this farewell talk from Moses called Deuteronomy. And that God had prepared a place for his people. They called it their inheritance. Now, an inheritance is normally something you get from your parents when they've passed on. Here's the sense was this inheritance was the promises of God given to Abraham. You see, sometimes the greatest inheritance is not stuff, but it's words. It's promises that you've received that you can hold on to. And so the children of Israel had to make some changes. The first thing was that they were not meant to wander endlessly as their life story. You see, a whole generation had just spent 40 years wandering around the wilderness. And to make a change, I wrote in my journal on New Year's Day this year, our life metaphor is not endless wandering. And that one day when we die, we go to heaven and we get our our inheritance. Then we can be happy and we can be fulfilled. 
Come with me to the New Testament quickly. When we place our faith in Jesus, when we believe in him, God gives us. This is what the Bible says. From the future into the present, our inheritance. In one sense, it's called heaven. In another sense, it is called the age to come. In other words, and, and when you read your English Bible, we often don't see it because it says eternal life. And we think eternal life is something that, ha- that happens after this life. Very unhelpful, naughty, naughty. It's not a good way to think about it. It is the life of God fully expressed in the future that begins to enter the present. So John 3 verse 16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not die, but have the life of the eternal future start to enter the present. That's that's a bit of a different way to think about it, isn't it? That's a much more biblical way to think about it. It's not that one day because I believed in Jesus, of course you will be with God. That's not the question. But the question is, like with Israel, God is saying, I will come to be with you. Even now, even on the earth, I want you to experience your inheritance. I want to give you the kind of victories I gave the children of Israel. Now, there will be an element of still waiting. Not everything comes perfectly. And like Joshua and the children of Israel, we are meant to receive the promises of God as our inheritance. Like them, we actively go after our future by meditating on, is what Joshua chapter 1 says, or thinking deeply about those very promises. So like I hold those promises, and they help me discover the future in the present. The other thing about that is, like the children of Israel, we will face a battle that we're going to fight differently to make this happen. We don't fight like the world fights, but we will face a battle. There will be a challenge. But like Joshua and the children of Israel, God is promising his personal presence as the guarantee of all he's done. One of the things that Joshua was told is people had to get their stuff ready. So we have just seen people get ready for what? Different things. Sometimes when you take different stuff, it determines whether you're going to succeed or not. If you take a beach towel into surgery, it's not really going to be very helpful. If you take a backpack to Paris, you might be able to, but, you know, you're not really going to climb the Eiffel Tower with your carabiner and other things. Well, you won't be allowed to. And so knowing what you can take with you on your journey is really important. So I want to talk about three timeless things that we can take with us into our future no matter what. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is part of a bigger story inside Uh, Paul is teaching the church in Corinth about all the wonderful gifts God gives. He's teaching them about healing. He's teaching them about teaching. He's teaching them about prophecy. He's teaching them about setting people free from dark things. He's teaching them an amazing amount of stuff. But he says to them in chapter 13, all those things are going to stop. Because a day is coming that is so good that no one will be sick. Therefore, you won't need healing. No one won't understand, therefore you won't need 
teaching. No one will miss insight or, uh, you know, information. Therefore, you won't need prophecy. All those things, as amazing as they are, and a full expression of the kingdom of God now, because God's kingdom fixes things, changes things, they're not timeless. So what are some of the timeless attitudes? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that pretty much everything else, but there are three attitudes that we're going to take with us. And they are, now these three remain. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. As we move from what's incomplete to what's complete, these are not going to change. I want to talk very quickly. Faith, number one there, is when we trust God and we believe Him and His Word. And what Joshua and them had to do is they had to understand what God had made, His promises, and we sang it earlier. We can trust Him. We can build our life on His love and on His Word. And so they were stepping out in faith. And that can take courage. And so God has to say to him, don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Now, feelings can be like worms or jelly. You know, it's real messy to stop them wriggling around. How do you nail jelly to something? It does, doesn't work. Feelings, sometimes, how do you just tell someone, don't feel like that? Well, actually, feelings follow what you let your mind trust in. And so God is explaining to God's people, if you want to go into the future in a healthy way, I want you to carry faith. Don't let doubt and fear and discouragement direct our thoughts and our attitude. In spite of what we're experiencing around us, I am convinced and I mean this with all my heart, that we are on the verge of seeing God do amazing things through His people. Through His people, in His people, and through His people. The more the difference between God's people and the world, the more the witness will shine and people will see it. I, I'm convinced of that. We'll see walls coming down like Jericho. We'll see breakthrough in the lives of many. We will see people coming to faith. Last year, I was in an online new wine network, and there was a prophetic word that I was able to really receive, and that is that God is giving us the keys to the hearts of men and women, of boys and girls, young and old. God is going to give us the keys because literally the world what people are experiencing in the world, people are actually literally shutting off to. They're closing down to. But when we come with the good news of Jesus, when we come with his hope and his love, people's hearts are going to start to open to us. And it's critical in those moments what we invite them to take into their hearts. So we want to get our faith ready. The second thing is we want to get our hope ready. And it's hard to have a hope when you've got these massive walls and you've got these big enemies. It's hard to have hope when you've got stage six load shedding as the new normal. Anyone found their attitude struggling lately? Oh, no. Oh, no. It's, it's tough. 
It's hard to, to have hope when, according to uh, the State Capture Commission, you can't tell the difference between organized crime and the government that's in charge. It's hard to have hope when so much seems negative. When the dream of diversity and reconciliation is turning into a nightmare of populist hope and hate politics and ghetto identity where everyone's running to be with people who look and sound like them. Listen to me. Explore. The church of Jesus, the people of God, have never needed Caesar's power or permission to do God's work. We've never needed Caesar to be a nice man or a good woman for us to be the light and the salt that the world needs. You need to know they are not the answer. Jesus has planted something in us that carries literally hope for the world. Good news of great joy. So, folks, stop putting your hope in Caesar and Cyril. You will be disappointed. Stop putting your hope in Herod and Helen. You will be disappointed. They are not going to deliver. We call that in sort of like contemporary theological discussions, and uh, I'm, I'm only using this. We call that Constantinianism. Why do we do that? Because the, after about 300 years in which the church was doing a pretty good job of being salt and light, suddenly there was, for the first time, a Caesar, a king, a ruler, who said he was a Christian. 300 years after Jesus had come. And then he began to try and organize the world around the fact that there was a Christian who was large and in charge. And it was pretty much a mess. Because what happened is the church waited for the people in charge to start making the world better instead of realizing that God has put that power with us. The world is not going to offer us hope. You are the ones who carry the hope of God. And so surrender the idea that the world will get better if we can just get the right people in charge. That it's somehow a top-down theory. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It gets planted here, there, and everywhere, and it's going to grow. It's like yeast that gets mixed into the dough, and it slowly changes the thing from the inside out. Stop waiting for Caesar and start waking up to what Jesus is inviting you to carry into the world. Attitudes that Listen, these will carry you no matter what's going on. Faith, hope, and love. We love because God loved us first. We love because we have been forgiven much. Jesus told a parable. One man who thought he only owed a little and one man who knew that he had been forgiven much. And he said, who's going to be the most grateful? Who's going to love the most? And it says the man who'd been forgiven much. We love because we know it's not because we're perfect or we're better. It's because we've accepted the gift of God's grace and kindness in forgiving us. He loved us first. 
We love because according to Romans 5, verse 5, God is literally pouring his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We love because that's how we will, in counterintuitive ways, tear down the strongholds of the enemy. If you want to walk around the walls and watch them fall, keep your love on. Keep your love on. Keep your love alive. And then three timeless gifts. I said there were some gifts that seemingly came and went. So healing, you won't need healing in here. But there are three things at least that are timeless. Three timeless gifts. And the first is God's word. Joshua is told, I want you to read it. I want you to memorize it. I want you to internalize it. I want you to meditate on it. In other words, take seemingly waste your time just thinking about it. Just pause, let other things go, and let God's word. And, and, and it does take your time. You are going to have to make time. You won't, you'll never find time. You can only make time to receive the gift of God's word. The second is also God's presence. God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But we sort of like have to wake up to God's presence. So we read that Israel, for example, was learning to follow God. Moses would go into the place where God's presence was so obvious. It was called in those times the tent of meeting. Now in Exodus 33, Moses has this amazing encounter with God. We think Moses is there by himself, but we read in verse 11, and the Lord would speak to Moses face to face like someone talking to a friend. And you're like, wow. And Moses would return to the camp. But his young assistant, Joshua, would stay in the tent. You see, Joshua was learning to lead and serve out of God's presence. From being with God in that place. And so our worship was, is, as Kirk and the team, thank you, it's to make us aware that God is always here, always now, no matter what you face. And so our prayer and our worship and other aspects, but those supremely are ways in which we awaken again to the sense and the realization and the fresh confirmation that God is here. How many of you have just felt encouraged, felt your faith lift as we prayed and worshipped together, as we set our hearts and our minds on him? It's a gift God says, I will never take that from you. I'll never, ever leave you. So we want to learn how to pray, learn how to worship, learn how to lean into those spaces. So I've got to give a plug for the week of prayer. And by the way, fasting as well. And some of you, the most radical thing you might do is fast your phone. 
Um, it can be food, it can be whatever, and certainly for at least four days, maybe you do the whole week. But maybe choose something that's part of the fabric of your everyday life that if you press pause on that and make time for God's presence, you're going to notice a big difference. The other thing about God's presence and prayer, of course, is that we realize that he's going to fight the battle, not us. <laughs> he's got to make it happen. We come in prayer because we realize, actually, we have no power to make this happen by ourselves. You know, the children of Israel, they marched around, they marched around. And those walls look just as intact, and, you know, after seven days and six and a half rounds as they did at the beginning. And we learn to wait on God's presence. Just an amazing gift that God says, I'm with you. And so in our praying, we express our dependence upon, our need of. And in fact, we come to delight in the fact that God, as the psalmist says, my hope is in you. My soul finds rest in God alone. Psalm 62. We're no longer disappointed that, that actually nothing else helps. We're actually delighted that we found the God who's better than everything else. And then lastly, this you will never lose. Now, I know some of you think this is a dodgy gift, but God's people, God's community. You know, as God began to work with the children of Israel and get them ready, and we go to the New Testament, we discover that almost all the promises of God are plural. I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never walk away. Yes, you can receive that personally, but it's meant to be experienced collectively. So we've heard even this morning about the culture in you. We've heard about the church camp. We're going to hear about other opportunities to engage meaningfully with people in community. If you really want to go far, they say if you want to go fast, we'll go alone. But if you really want to go far, go together. Go together. Guys, I, I am so convinced, probably more so by all the nonsense that's going on around us, that we are so close to seeing something unique in our day. As hearts are turned towards the God who offers them himself, his word, and his people, we are not waiting. Our hope is not in all the idols of the world and its solutions. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we don't get involved in our world, in society, and even in politics if necessary. But what I am saying is we know where our hope is found.